We need to try to make sure that people understand the message that if that dollar helps somebody get healthier and be healthier and live longer and be able to live a life of dignity and autonomy, that that's a good thing, even if you haven't cut the cost of care by 30%, right? Welcome to Sharing in Our Caring, the podcast that brings thought leaders, policymakers, and industry insiders together to shed light on the human services sector that's often overlooked, but impacts us all. Tune in each episode for engaging conversations aimed at making positive change in this space. And we're back. I'm your host, Elliot Masuda, the Strategic Partnerships Manager at Foothold Technology. I have with me my co-host, Paul Rossi, the Head of Customer Advocacy at Foothold Technology. And I'm really excited about our guest and the topic that we're talking about today. So, Paul, why don't you kick things off and tell us what that is? Okay. Well, we're going to talk about health homes today. And our guest is Hillel Hirschbein, who's the Executive Director of Community Care Management Partners. And CCMP, as we know them, is one of the many health homes in New York State that we've had the pleasure of working with since relevant foothold care management platform joined the foothold community. What I really enjoyed about this conversation is that health homes are a specific model of care, but it really puts the individual at the center of it all. So a lot of buzz right now in the industry is around person-centered planning, personal choice, empowering the individual to be integral in the services they are receiving. And Halal has been working in the social services arena over 25 years. So it was really great to get his thoughts and perspective around health homes. Yeah, he's got such a great perspective on things. And we had a really good conversation that touches on the challenges health homes are facing, as well as the successes and impact they're having on the individuals they serve. Let's take a listen. So my name is Hillel Hirschbein. I'm the CEO of CCMP Health Home. I've been in the healthcare sector for about 25 years. The sort of short version of how I got here is, you know, in my early 20s, I had my own issues and demons, behavioral health issues going on. And I was fortunate enough in those early years to find and get connected to the resources that literally saved my life. And I kind of got convinced that getting the second chance at life, I had to kind of make it something about service. And so I followed a path that led me eventually to go through social work school, get a master's in public health as well. And during that time, I got to experience working with a lot of really marginalized populations. I worked in the lowest bottom detox, basically in the, in the state of Michigan, where basically folks went when they had no insurance and no nothing. It was amazing seeing how we could transform and help people sort of return to life. And then I did a social work internship in a psychiatric prison hospital where it was like the marginalized of the marginalized. I worked for 16 years in a very large not-for-profit in a lot of different roles, working with kids who were traumatized. And this was right at 9-11. And I both ran a program and provided the direct service to the kids and their families who had lost a loved one. And then I had an opportunity to work in the C-suite of this organization and then run programs again. So back in about 20, I want to say 2018, I had been at this organization, which I loved and which is where I sort of grew up professionally, but I had an opportunity to apply to become at that point, the executive director of this health home called Community Care Management Partners. Now, CCMP, a lot of people might wonder like, what is a health home? And in a nutshell, it's essentially a model of care management where there's this hub, there's this entity that is the lead health home that essentially supports 
a network of care management providers to provide the direct care management to individuals living with chronic illnesses. And so one of the things that happened when we transitioned from those older models to the newer model of health home care management is that some of those silos, the vision was to break down some of those silos and make it so that people with chronic illnesses who were separated from care for a variety of different reasons could actually have a care management, a person in their corner to help them get linked to the care that they needed to get and stay healthy. So when I think about what health and care management is, to link people to the care that they need to get and stay healthy and to inspire them to use that care. So link and inspire. CCMP has a staff of nine, and we right now are supporting a network of about 48 care management programs that have somewhere in the neighborhood of 800, 850 care managers and managers, et cetera, who then serve in turn about 15,000 chronically ill New Yorkers. I think there's two ways to sort of think about this. The coordination of care benefits both the the, the consumer, the individual that is needing the care, and also the, the payer, essentially, right? Because you're coordinating and making sure that folks aren't falling out of the system. And that's having a whole bunch of positive effects on other systems, right? So we're reducing emergency room visits. We're gaining compliance with medication regimes that perhaps we weren't before and, and that sort of thing. Can you talk to us a little bit more about some of those benefits that a healthcare or that a health home provider? to the folks that are being served. Absolutely. So think about the difficulties and challenges that you as an individual or a family member may have had connecting to care, following through with care, navigating insurance, figuring out who the provider is, understanding what's being shared by these systems that are highly pressured and that are highly, highly structured. And then Take away access to privilege. Maybe it's a family and friends and a network of people who have been through it and can help you through it. The people you can say, hey, what do I do about this? What do I do about that? Right? Strip that away. Strip away literacy. Add in maybe difficulty with English as a language. Add in the barriers, all those barriers, especially the barriers that are created by poverty. Right. And just, you know, think about those difficulties and try to connect it back to if you've ever had somebody that you've seen who struggled with the system or has to had to grapple with a chronic illness of some kind. There's just the basic emotional challenge of having something that is really tough to deal with that affects your health on a daily basis. And then you put in all those barriers and it becomes incredibly overwhelming. So what health home care coordinators do is they help bridge that gap. They help explain things. They help provide the information. You know, like right now, we live in an information age when a lot of us assume that everybody in the world has the cell phone or has the smartphone or has the computer and has web access and knows how to use it. There are lots of people. There are hundreds of thousands of people in New York that don't have that for any number of different reasons. And so just Google it, which might be almost an assumption for lots of us is not the case for lots and lots and lots and lots of people. There are, the care coordinators can help somebody get a phone that can be subsidized so that they get minutes to actually talk to a provider or make phone calls to providers or to be able to call and get that access a ride. Also, let's say you're struggling with your benefits because it can be really tough to sign up appropriately for benefits. Like imagine reading those forms and having to fill them out if you are reading at a third grade level or a fourth grade level, which some people are, right? Increasingly, especially folks that are disconnected from care, they're going to urgent cares or emergency rooms in particulars to get what other folks might be getting when they're 
having a relationship with a doctor that they've known and that they've developed trust in over the years. I think there's a lot of research out there that suggests that if it's somebody that you don't know that's saying, here's what you need to do to take care of your health, you're going to be more skeptical about it, more guarded, and maybe not as willing to follow those suggestions and recommendations as it's if it's somebody that you trust. So care coordinator is somebody who's in your corner, and you can bounce those things off. They're just going to try to help folks understand the medical advice and medical information that's been given to them and give them an opportunity and a place to process it and figure out and problem solve how to actually adhere rather than not. It's very easy to give up. It's sometimes harder to follow through. And if you've got somebody in your corner to help coach you through those things, to help you problem solve, that can be make all the difference in the world. It's really phenomenal. And I really I appreciate how you explained it in a way that was very relatable for many of us are of the age now where our parents are starting to become more dependent on us for regular daily sort of living things. And the difference, I guess, really is you're providing these services to a Medicaid population exclusively? That's or do you- right. Yes. Oh, just okay. So health and care management is just for folks on Medicaid or Medicaid-managed care. And okay. in New York State, there's about 6 million-ish people that would fall into that pool. And it's only the folks that are higher risk in that population. Right now, there are about 180,000 people enrolled in health home, plus or minus. And, and that's just in New York State. That's just in New York State. Okay. It is my understanding that New York State has funded health home more robustly than pretty much any other state. And while the rates and the structure that is envisioned are better than in many states, this is also a place that has the highest cost of living, the highest cost of insert here of everything. <laughs> and so there's still significant cost pressure. You know, care coordinators are not highly paid and they're doing incredibly hard work on the front lines and are not really recognized for it in the way that I think needs to happen. You may know that in last year, coming out of last year's New York State budget, the majority of healthcare, Medicaid-funded healthcare, got a 5.4% COLA. Most of health home workers were left out of that. And sadly, some of them have even been left out of the recent workforce bonus structure that the state rolled out. And so my heart is always with the folks on the ground. One of the things I want to say about CCMP, one of the things that I think makes CCMP phenomenal is everybody that works at CCMP has at one point been at a care management agency. So they know the difficulty. And so we are very sympathetic to and we really take our job very seriously to provide support to those care management agencies. Can you tell us a little bit about that relationship? Can a provider agency have a relationship with multiple health homes? How does the health home sort of form that sort of relationship with providers? Like how did it all come together? So the state very deliberately took a very laissez-faire approach early on. They said, we're not gonna over-regulate. You're gonna create your networks. You're gonna do the work. We're gonna have a certain number of health homes and we'll see which models are the most successful. The ones that succeed will succeed and propagate and the other ones will maybe not. And there were very few regulations. People, there were some care management agencies that were in six or seven or eight health homes because they didn't know which ones were gonna be the ones that were gonna be successful and what so. And different health homes interpreted state policy differently. The state was very, I want to say, deliberate and not super concrete in their early policies. So there was a lot of stuff that was open to interpretation. And so it definitely created some kinds of confusion. Early on, health homes really looked to create a sufficiently robust network to show the state that they could actually provide a broad range of 
service in their catchment area. And what we have today at CCP, we have a, an application and a vetting process that we go through to ensure that care management agencies are going to be able to provide high quality service in a way where they've thought through how they're going to be so uh, financially sustainable, where we feel like we've got a real partner that we can support. But it is a funny kind of relationship because, you know, you've heard me say our job is to support and train, and we provide a broad range of services. We provide information on governance. We do the financial work. We do the billing for them. As you know, one of the reasons that I'm here doing this podcast with you guys is because we provide an electronic record system to our network that they have to use. We provide the policy and procedure. We do quality oversight. We do compliance oversight. We provide training. We provide clinical consultation. The relationship between the payers, which are both New York State and the MCOs, is with us, the health home, not with the care management agencies. So we take that headache off of their hands and we bear that risk. I mean, but I will say we have folks that are interested in continuing to join and we really look at who are you serving? Are you serving a population that is really in need where we need to continue to make our own network more robust? Do you have a track record of successful service to marginalized populations? Are you serving a population or a geographic area, neighborhood that continues to be underserved? Those are the kinds of questions that we look at when we think about who we're bringing in. Right. Are you doing some innovative work? So we just brought on a CMA that they're doing some very interesting stuff on the Medicare side and on, and they're really pioneering and looking at how they can monitor folks with chronic illnesses in other ways through other models. And so we look forward to really a productive learning experience with them where they provide health and care management and learn that from us. And we start seeing how they're working with other populations. So those are the kinds of exciting things that we kind of are trying to look for when we look for new potential CMAs to join our network. Yeah. I think really the what stood out to me was the kind of you kept on talking about trust and to building these relationships in a system that for the individuals that you're serving in the, these marginalized communities that they don't necessarily feel safe. I mean, we're seeing that on, you know, in our world today, whether it's around the justice system. And so that was just those intangibles that it's not about a reduction of an ER visit. It's like they're doing all of this because they just feel like they have an advocate in their corner that they, in in a system that they don't often feel. There are both external barriers and intrapsychic barriers and emotional barriers. And just getting to your point of safety, there's really a lot of different types of safety. There's physical safety, right? But there's emotional safety, there's psychological safety. Some say also there's a concept of spiritual safety. So somebody finds a way to have a connection, you know, and health home is not a clinical program. It's not, you're not, it's not your therapist, it's not your doctor, but there is the opportunity to create a therapeutic alliance, an alliance where having this person in your corner helps you have either greater fearlessness, resolve, strength to move on and do some of the things that you need to do. I think that we've all probably experienced that. And, you know, there are some folks who, after working with somebody for a few years, maybe they get to a point where they're like, you know, I got this. And nothing makes a care coordinator happier than seeing someone who both feels and is effective in their own life at driving their own choices and with dignity and autonomy. Touching on funding, can you talk about how the funding evolved since its inception and is it like a per model per member per month yes yeah you yeah. got it yeah there's there are um, so many acronyms in health home <laughs> yes. i i trip over them all the time 
And then is there kind of like value-based incentives and how does that all work? Great. So, so what I can say is that it's still a complicated system, but less complicated than it was originally with advocacy and collaboration with the health homes and the care management agencies simplified the system. And I'm not going to use that sort of names because I, I know the jargon can be awful. Fundamentally, even though they don't always have this name, there is a lower rate, a medium rate, and a very high rate, both for the adults and also for the kids. Essentially, a care management agency gets paid that each month that they provide at least a minimum service, which would technically be one service in a month. But they might have to, they would get paid the same amount if they also provide six services. So you might have somebody for whom you're getting the low rate and you're going to have to see them three or four times. If they've got a crisis going on, you're going to work with them more intensively and you've got to be able to increase and decrease your intensity level of service. And part of the logic of it is this. If you can pay a care management agency, let's just say it's $213 a month or $383 for the mid-range. And you can prevent somebody from being hospitalized or having to go to the ER and prevent some of those really catastrophic costs pay the care management agencies a little each month to help with that rather than having that person experience an exorbitant cost like a hospitalization or a ER visit. So there's an economy there that, that people look at that say maybe we can help reduce those catastrophic costs, those inpatient type costs. And actually the data that the state has shows that there have been actual reductions. The overall amount being spent in the system is comparable for this population, but a lot of the spending has shifted from inpatient type costs and urgent emergency room over to outpatient. So family doctors, specialists, behavioral health, they're getting more because the folks are now going there instead of to the emergency room. And if you think about it, isn't that exactly what you'd hope would happen? Now, to me, if you could spend the same amount but spend it in the way that demonstrates that people are being more proactive and taking care of their health, that's a major win, right, to me. But the challenge is we need to make sure, especially when every dollar of both federal funding and state funding is so precious. There's so many things that people want to fund, and taxpayers don't want to pay more taxes. We need to try to make sure that people understand the message that if that dollar helps somebody get healthier and be healthier and live longer and be able to live a life of dignity and autonomy, that that's a good thing, even if you haven't cut the cost of care by 30%, right? You mentioned some of the ways that we are seeing, you know, positives come out of the health home model. And, and one of the one of the things that I had read in, in preparation for our conversation today was that, you know, increased engagement with primary care physicians, like you mentioned, and also increased prescription medication costs were seen as a very positive thing because it meant that people were engaging with that care and they were they were prescribing or they were being prescribed and, and actually getting the medication, taking delivery of the medications. What are some of the other measures similar to that do we look at? I mean, obviously, like reduction of inpatient stays and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, like increased visits to a doctor... I would think, wow, that kind of gets expensive. But to your point, mm -hmm. it is it also addresses primary health care concerns. Yeah. Are there other examples like that? Absolutely. And, and so this is actually one of the areas, you know, CCMP has been working with FCM since FCM took over the product from Relevant. And we partnered in an incredibly positive way and invested very heavily in helping build out things that would really help demonstrate value. And so over the last few years, we've gotten to a point where we are, can routinely 
pull out data out of the system and see outcomes, concrete outcomes. So the latest round of outcomes, you know, there's sort of five measures that we look at because they're the easiest ones to measure based on some of the information that we give. But this isn't the only benefit of Health Home. But so built into the assessment is something called the PHQ-9, which is a validated, very commonly used global kind of questionnaire about behavioral health and depression. And so we were able to tell comparing point in time A to point in time B for a set that were in care for a certain amount of time, that those who came in and were at their first measurement showing that they were severely depressed, 79% of them at time two, which was anywhere between 250 and 365 days later, were 79% had moved to the next category down or further. So it went mm-hmm. from being in the most, the highest acuity when it came to depression to lower. of those who came in and were at that high, high, high acuity. Similarly, uh, built into the assessment, there are a couple of validated measures for drug abuse and alcohol use or alcohol abuse. And they're they're still, those terms are a little bit archaic. We move beyond them, but the validated instruments use them. So when we do our measurements, we try to maintain fidelity to those instruments. So 66% reduction in severity of alcohol use among those that started at the most severe end of the sale. 58% reduction similarly for drug abuse, those who came in with severe drug abuse in terms of certain measures. HIV, 39% of the folks who came in and were measured as being unsuppressed in their viral load, which means really sick and also capable of transmitting the disease to others uh, within what something like 250 to 365 days, 39% of those were then suppressed within where their viral load was not measurable. Homelessness of the folks who came in being literally homeless within a year, 42% of those people were housed, right? And so those are very real changes in the lives of people. Now, does care cost money? Yes, but homelessness costs money, right? Uncontrolled diabetes, the cost, societal cost, the individual cost of severe drug and alcohol abuse is just horrendous. And by the way, what we're now trying to do is look at publicly available data to project out what what do these five outcomes mean in terms of savings? Because we don't yet have the clinical, the, the sort of the claims level data to be able to show mm-hmm. it ourselves, but we're working on that. And so, but that's the kind of thing we're looking at. We can make real changes in people's lives that actually also save the system a lot of money. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. And I, and I think that, you know, it's really interesting from a policy perspective. I think the conversation really changes when folks become aware of what things actually cost, right? Like the cost of punishing someone (laughs) in the criminal justice system, super expensive. The cost of treating somebody in the emergency room, super, super expensive. So if you can help curb some of those behaviors where you're reducing, say, that the substance use, for instance, that, you know, ends up with fewer engagements with law enforcement, those sorts of things. As we're approaching kind of the hour, I'm going to put these together in one question. What challenges are you facing? Or if not challenges, what keeps you up at night for the health home? And where do you see the health home model going in the future? Great questions. And these are the questions that keep me up and that I obsess about all the time. So. You know, CCMP has both with state measures and outcomes and in the results of our designations demonstrated ourselves to be a top quality health home. We've gotten the highest possible designation scores that one can get from the state. 
And the way we get there, we believe, is through having a real partnership with our CMAs, where we have high expectations of our CMAs, but we provide a huge amount of support. And the combination of the high expectations and the very intensive support leads to great outcomes. So that's a sort of philosophy that we try to implement to actually move things forward. Yet we are also a what would be called a standalone health hub. We're not connected. To, we're connected to great eight great owners, but we're not connected to like a hospital system. And so navigating the changes in the healthcare system and seeing exactly where we fit into the new networks that are going to be starting is one of the things that keeps me up. And that you know is going to be a. I think it's going to be a challenge for lots of health homes, less so for the ones that are already connected to big networks of care. And so right now, one of the big things that's being talked about in healthcare in New York State is the New York Health Equity Reform 1115 waiver. And over the next year, that's going to be coming down the pike. The waiver has certain very specific goals and fundamentally around reducing cost of care, increasing connectedness. So seeing exactly where CCMP fits is something that we're going to be grappling with and something that's a challenge. You know, the goals are to reduce health disparities, advance health equity, and support the delivery of social care. And so health home has a really important role there. If the systems, and this is the part that keeps me up at night, if the other systems say, hey, wait a second, all these goals that are part of this new updated waiver, health homes are already addressing. Let's just use them. Act on what we already have that exists rather than throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So really trying to make sure that health home stays a viable and vibrant part of that is something that's very important. And, you know, the discussion that we just had about outcomes, if we can demonstrate our outcomes, that's going to do it. The other thing that really I struggle with that keeps me up is kind of the workforce issue that I alluded to earlier. Health home care managers are on the front line. They're out in communities. And when other parts of the healthcare system that were very worthy of getting those increases got their increases, health home was left out. Health home care management, the care management agencies, the rates that we got paid didn't get that COLA when all the other rates did for Medicaid. And this is on the Medicaid side. And that is having been out in the field when health home started and seeing the, how hard the work is and participating in it. It's just heartbreaking to see that sort of being forgotten and being forgotten multiple times that happens for the health home workforce. Um, so that, that breaks my heart. And I want to make sure that the folks that are most marginalized within the care management workforce get the recognition for the hard work that they do. Elliot, this conversation with Halal was so great. And I think it was especially informative for both of us because health homes touch the lives of so many of the most vulnerable populations served by our customers. I mean, certainly at our care management agencies and at health homes like CCMP. And they have such a huge impact. I really hope the conversation raises awareness for health homes and helps shine some light on the importance of this model of care. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And although it may have been created to save money in the healthcare system, the data would show that it really is enhancing the lives of the individuals that um, the health homes serve, whether that be for making sure individuals are adhering to medications or decreasing no-show rates at the end of the day, it's ensuring individuals are receiving the necessary services. Absolutely. I think that's a wrap. And let's leave you with one final thought from our guest, Hillel. I think that some of what I just said is really that, is health home is an incredibly valuable model. We're at a point in time when systems are changing and there are going to be lots of interest groups that are 
not looking at health home as being as valuable as I think our outcomes show it is and can be. And I think that we need to continue to conserve the models that are already in place and the structures and infrastructure that have already been built that are getting great outcomes as we build and continue to transform. You know, the health homes need to be an integral part of the value-based payment arrangements that are going to be coming down the pike over the next two to three to four years. One other thing I want to call out is I'd be remiss if I didn't call out how privileged I am to sort of work in a community, both my own team members. I just have the most phenomenal team of dedicated, passionate, mission-driven people who want to improve the healthcare of the communities that they live in. And also the privilege that I've had of working with some um, other really creative leaders across the health homes and at the state and at the New York State Health Home Coalition. They're phenomenal folks that, you know, to work in the background, right? The care management agencies are the ones that are doing the direct care work and the health homes are just, our job is to support them. And that's what we do. And um, and I just want to call out both my team and the teams of many of those other health homes for doing just phenomenal work. Thanks for listening to Sharing in Our Caring, brought to you by Foothold Technology. Special thanks to our guest, Halal Hirschbein. We also want to give a shout out to Sabrina and the team at Resonate who helped us with production and editing. And if you liked this episode and want to hear more, please like and subscribe and consider following us on our social media channels by searching at Foothold Tech. For more information, visit us at footholdtechnology.com and we'll catch you on our next episode.